You're listening to The South Stands, a Buckeye football podcast by Ohio State fans for Ohio State fans on Apple Podcasts, YouTube, Spotify, and SoundCloud. Welcome back to The South Stands, everyone. From San Francisco, I'm your host, Zach Moore. Tonight, I'm joined by fellow South Stands contributor Paige Van Horn from Denver and Tim Gallagher from Connecticut. How's it going, fellas? Been better. Good. Good. Just say good. Just say good. Been better. All right. Everyone's good. Uh, It's Wednesday, August 12th, and we're here to react to the historic decision by the Big Ten to cancel all fall sports, including, of course, football due to the COVID-19 pandemic. The decision was announced yesterday in a statement released by the conference. In that statement, Conference Commissioner Kevin Warren said, quote, as time progressed and after hours of discussion with our Big Ten Task Force for Emerging Infectious Diseases, that's a really long title, by the way, and the Big Ten Sports Medicine Committee, it became abundantly clear that there was too much uncertainty regarding potential medical risks to allow our student athletes to compete this fall. Paul Levine and Mark Schlebaugh, sorry, Paula Levine and Mark Schlebaugh of ESPN reported on Tuesday, so the day before the Big Ten made the announcement, that a heart condition linked to COVID-19 known, known as, I might butcher this, myo Carditis, is that how you say it, guys? Um, Close enough. Close enough, which was found in at least five Big Ten athletes who had recovered from the virus was of growing concern to administrators in both the Big Ten and the Pac-12. And it appears that might have been the last nail in the coffin of the 2020 college football season, at least for the Big Ten and the Pac-12, which announced its intention to cancel fall sports yesterday as well. Presidents from the 14 Big Ten member schools voted On the decision, it was pretty clear the vote was not unanimous. Shortly after the announcement, Ohio State AD Gene Smith said in an interview on the Big Ten Network, quote, obviously, we would have preferred to play. We were very aligned in our position that we could make it happen, end quote. The University of Nebraska released a statement yesterday expressing its disappointment in the decision and that it would seek other avenues to compete this fall. It appears Nebraska will attempt to rejoin the Big 12. At least that's the last update I had. We'll see how that goes. On a Zoom call with reporters earlier today, Ryan Day said he and Gene Smith were still exploring options to play this fall. However, Smith tweeted just a couple of hours ago, quote, Ohio State has continued his communications with the Big Ten Conference office regarding a scenario to still play football games, but has now determined that this would not be an allowable opportunity for us to move toward. Sorry, that's to play football games in the fall. We are 100% focused on supporting the health and safety and academic success of our student athletes and on working with the Big Ten to develop a spring plan for our sports as expeditiously as possible. So spring plan, more on that later. For the first time, guys, since the program's very first game against Ohio Wesleyan on Friday, May 3rd, 1890, which was a 20 to 14 Buckeye victory, by the way, there will not be an Ohio State football season. Think about that. Ohio State was able to play through two world wars and even through the 1918 Spanish flu, which happened concurrently with the end of the world first world war. Ohio State played a revised six game schedule that season, which was interrupted by a month long stoppage from mid October to early November because of the Spanish flu. So I bring that up only because there's parallels to what we're going through now. They also had to play with a makeshift roster because many of Ohio State's players were fighting over in Europe. The Buckeyes finished three and three that year, eighth in the Big Ten, in case you're curious. Meanwhile, the SEC, ACC, and the Big 12 appear to be holding firm and have not yet canceled their seasons. The SEC and ACC released what looked like coordinated statements 
yesterday saying in as many words that they're staying the course, player safety is their top priority, they'll continue to monitor developments around COVID-19. Today, the Big 12 released its revised schedule while announcing enhanced protocols for player safety. It appears at least for now, all three conferences intend to play. We shall see. All right, fellas, I want to get each of your reactions to the cancellation of the 2020 season. There's a lot to unpack here. Paige, when we first started examining the impact of COVID-19 on college football on this podcast back in mid-April, you said you can envision a scenario where some conferences opt out, like the Big Ten, while others, SEC, decide to play. Well, here we are, faced with that exact scenario, at least for now. You are the seer of seers, my friend, a prophet. Now that the Big Ten's decision to cancel fall sports is a reality, what are your thoughts? Yeah, I wouldn't say that. It's not that difficult to envision this scenario, um, just with the disjointed nature of college football, which is what makes you want to pull your hair out, but what also makes it fantastic um, just in a normal sense, right? I mean, mm-hmm. we'd love to, to to argue about this stuff and that's what makes it unique and it's great. Um, but to prophesize, you know, not being aligned across conferences, even though I did kind of think of it, I, I don't think it's <laughs> that big of a deal. And so I'm, I, I, I go back to the... The five stages of grief are denial, anger, bargaining, depression, and acceptance. Um, if you went to seven, you have shock. I, you know, <laughs> shock is in there too. I'm definitely beyond the shock. I, candidly, I'm still in the denial stage. And I think I, I tiptoe into the anger stage. But what frustrates me more than anything is that the bargaining stage. And I say that because it's kind of driving me crazy that it seems like there's still bargaining going on within the conference in and of itself. Mm -hmm. Um, Case in point with, you know, Ryan Day saying what he said and Gene Smith saying what he said. Right. I, I, I don't know how that serves you well. And I think Tim has a strong viewpoint on this. um, Even though I'm coming at it from a little bit of a, of a different angle, but the more you keep doing this, I think the more you're just setting yourself up for just, you're, you're just not looking aligned. You're not, you're not looking professional. You're looking like you guys are, you know, being blindsided by this. And that is the part that is frustrating for me. Now, on the other side of that coin, we're talking about, and you know, a global pandemic of COVID and its chaos. And I think we always need to come back to that sort of as the guiding light to say, we're in uncharted territory here and these people are doing the best they can. So I, I fall, you know, somewhere in, in those stages. Right. I, I still have hope and that might be completely asinine, but I got to tell you, I still have a sliver of hope we see something. In the fall. In the fall. In the fall. Wow. So do you think do you think Kevin Warren and the Big Ten did the right thing by canceling? Yeah, I do. Yeah. Yeah. I do. Okay. I mean, I yeah, just taking all emotion out of it and you know, my true utter sadness about I mean, it's sad. I mean, we yeah. care about it. Oh, I mean, yeah. it's you know, it's a big deal for us and you know, it in context, right? We all know family, friends, health, th- those are 
those are the big things. But these, you know, football and other parts of our lives, you know, we care about it. We care about it quite a bit. That's why we, you know, are on a podcast to talk about it. Mm-hmm. So until the lights are completely turned off and everyone's, you know, left the bar and I'm still the last one there, I've got a sliver of hope. (laughs) All right. Tim, what are your thoughts? So, you know, I just think it's really difficult to, uh, for for me, to be surprised by this. You know, as we've talked about, my freakometer has been on 10 for a long time. Uh, looking at the way this is playing out, not just in football, but in other sports, in, in Major League Baseball and, and, and in golf even, where you know, you're not really around anybody. I, I always thought it was going to be difficult, uh, even just practically speaking, to get players on the field, to get teams of 85 kids and coaches and everybody else who needs to be around each other, around each other. So, so from a practical standpoint, I thought it was very difficult. Uh, and then you just sort of layer in, you know, all of the, the social dynamic of it and the, the way that this is, is, is characterized every day in the press. Uh, and then you layer in the fact that, you know, to me, there's a huge, huge, huge difference between amateur athletes and professional athletes. Yeah. If you are getting paid millions of dollars on a contract and you want to take the risks, mm-hmm. that's your call. Yeah. Uni- universities are not in the business of, making risk decisions with people's lives. Uh, and that's, you know, I mean, it's a little bit dramatic, but, but, you know, it could turn out to be the case with certain people who, who, who get this and have real problems with it. Oh yeah. Uh, and so when I really sat down and kind of like started to think through all of those different dynamics, you know, I came to the conclusion a while ago, there's no way there's going to be a season. Mm-hmm. Um, we're just, the country's not trending in the right direction. The yeah. virus isn't trending in the right direction. Um, and so I don't, didn't, didn't really see, uh, any way that it was going to happen. Mm-hmm. Um, am I happy to be right? No. Um, am I going to badly miss college football? Yes. But, you know, on the other hand, you know, like I was saying earlier today, I really believe we look back two months from now at the move that the big 10 made. And I think, I think we, we look back on it in pride. I think we look back on it and said, you know what? We were first. I mean, to take the Mac and the Ivy League out of it, of the major conferences, we were first, we were bold, and we did it with clear intention of the students and the athletes come first. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's a hard message to hear. I get it. If you're a football player, it's difficult. I get the sentiment. I want to play. I want to coach. I want to do this. But, you know, that's not always necessarily the right path to follow is just what the players want to do right? or what the coaches want to do. Mm-hmm. So I applaud the Big Ten for making – uh, a very unpopular, a very difficult decision, but what I think is ultimately uh, the right decision today. And I don't think things are going to be different in two months. So I don't think there's going to be a later fall season or a January season like Ryan Day's talking about. Right. I think it could be possible you do a spring season, but then I just think that brings in a whole bunch of other complications of the draft and the fall, the fall season. And so mm-hmm. I don't think it happens. I think we're looking at next fall. Next fall. Okay. All right. Well, we'll get to the the prospect of a a spring season. Ryan Day shared some uh, thoughts on his vision for that. We'll get to that in the the second half of this pod. My take, I I agree uh, largely with with most of what you guys said. Now, could we quibble about 
Maybe we quibble a little bit with the Big Ten's timing. Maybe we quibble a little bit with how it was handled. I'm not smart enough to know when was the right timing and how something like this should have been handled. It's a very tough pill to swallow and a very tough call for the Big Ten. Kevin Warren, first year on the job, and this is the call that you have to make. It's it's a very, very tough call for him. I'd been holding on to hope that the Big Ten could figure out a way to, to have a season safely. And like you, Tim, yeah, I, you know, and Paige, I think you had also kind of come around several weeks ago, if not months ago, to the idea that we were not going to play this year or certainly in this in the fall. My heart goes out to the players. Obviously, players like Jonathan Cooper, fifth year senior, dealt with injuries, came back this year. But I believe this is absolutely the right call. You know, in most of the country right now, it's still not safe to go to a barber shop, a gym, to the movies. You can't even have a normal dining experience in a restaurant right now. So how can we guarantee the safety of amateur athletes in a contact sport like football? We're in the midst of this global pandemic, the, the likes, as I mentioned before, the likes of which we've not seen in 100 years. And, you know, the other thing is tens of millions of Americans have refused to make small short-term sacrifices social distancing, wearing masks, that sort of thing, to help get this thing under control, as most of the rest of the developed world has been able to do up to now. So I'm not sure what other recourse Kevin Warren and Big Ten University presidents would have had, but to cancel and look to the spring. These are extraordinary circumstances. There's no playbook for something like this. Yeah, again, we can quibble with how it was handled and the timing a little bit, but personally, I'm not going to hold it against Warren and the university presidents for not having all the answers right now. I think, Paige, you said it earlier. I think they're doing the best they possibly can under the circumstances. It is interesting to, to look at college football Twitter, Buckeye football Twitter in particular. People are losing their freaking minds. And it really is an echo chamber, right? I, I, I you know, obviously I, I manage the, the South Stands Twitter page and it's, you know, I'm following all the beat writers and, you know, folks who run fan sites and folks who have podcasts like ours and, you know, the sentiment is basically the same rage and the people want somebody to blame and they're going after Warren or they're going after Gene Smith. I tell you what, man, someone like Bobby Carpenter, I don't know if you guys follow him. I mean, I loved him as a player and he's had a nice career as an opinion guy, both locally in Columbus and nationally on ESPN. But that guy needs to get a grip. I mean, he is losing his shit. Uh, yesterday, he called the Big Ten the Ivy League of major college football. He, he had this. <laughs> he had this tweet before he signed off last night. He he uh, he retweeted this. Uh, you know, a meme of a Benjamin Franklin quote: "Those who would give up essential liberty to purchase safety deserve neither liberty nor safety." I'm like, come on, Bobby. Pull yourself together, man. The, the sun's going to come up tomorrow. Paige, I want to kick this back to you. I got a question. So what? What do you think of the SEC, ACC, and Big 12's attempt to push forward? What are your thoughts there? Um, I, you know what? I don't care. What I'm more interested in, and we were talking about this early to, earlier today, is what Notre Dame's doing. I think they're setting the standard. They're plowing ahead. They had 10,000 kids show up on campus you know, for, for school. Mm -hmm. They tested them all. Clearly, they're going ahead and, and going to try and play football. And I think that is, I think everyone's sort of missing sort of the, the smaller picture here to say, and, and this is what worries me. And, and look, I, I get it, right? Like the health and the safety of the players come first. And sometimes, you know, you just have to, you know, you have to veto what they want to do for their yeah, they're all good, right? If, yeah. if you're the administrators. But I also then wonder on the flip side of that coin is, if, are, 
are, are you just not kind of throwing in the towel a little bit too soon mm. with with creativity and resources and and clearly Notre Dame is throwing some resources at this thing mm-hmm. and if they're able to pull it off and you know keep their players safe and 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 by the way keep their student body safe and that's probably, you know, then I contradict myself. That's probably not going to happen. I mean, you get 9,000 <laughs> college kids there. Let's be realistic. But, right, right. you know, if, if they're able to do it, I think it's, I think it's an interesting, you know, keep your eye on it and see what happens. I've been on the record of saying, look, I think the season would start. I didn't think it would finish. Right. Um, I was wrong uh, on that. I think these other conferences are going to start. And to Tim's point, they're not going to finish and we might look back on this. And, and so then what is the point, right? Like right. W- w- what does that accomplish? And, you know, not having the big 10 and the pack 12, you know, a part of it again, what's the means to the ends? W- what are you guys playing for? Right. And I, you know, I, I might be wrong, but I really don't think I'm just going to sit there and watch a full slate of sec games, you know, in October when, you know, maybe there were only one of three conferences playing that doesn't interest me as much. Maybe I'm wrong. I, you know, might be so desperate from sports at that point, Yeah. but I go back to answer your question. I I think Notre Dame is the one to keep an eye on um, because I, I I think they're actually throwing the kitchen sink at this. And I think that's why people are mad. I think that's why you get guys like Bobby Carpenter just losing their shit. (laughs) Is there like, you guys are just thrown in the towel and you're not fighting and these other places are are taking a different approach. Hmm, Interesting. Uh, I got a comment I wanted to share or something I heard from Paul Feinbaum on ESPN about the SEC's plan. And then Tim, I want to kick it over to you. I thought it was interesting. He was on, I don't know, SportsCenter or whatever, one of the morning shows, and they had asked him about what the SEC is doing. And he believes what they're doing. He said a bunch of stuff, but, but but what caught my attention was that what they're going to do is wait to see what happens when students come back on campus. And then if there are major outbreaks all over campus and they can't get under control, well, then the SEC, Greg Sankey, has cover to cancel the season. And maybe that's what the Big Ten could have done. I don't know. I, so I'm looking, at a, I'm looking at a coronavirus map on the New York Times. Uh, it's the latest map and case count on the New York Times. And the, the region that has the most red and dark red and orange is the southeastern portion of this country. I mean, starting kind of from central Texas, moving east, it's red and orange all over Texas, Alabama, Mississippi, Louisiana, Tennessee, Georgia, Florida, and even Oklahoma. I mean, just going off this map, and I don't know how much, you know, how much we can put in, how much stock we can put in this map, but the virus ain't under control, and that 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 part of the country—it's where it's raging the most. It looks like a, you know, like a brush fire, just kind of out of control. Tim, anyone want to kick it over to you? What are your thoughts on the SEC, ACC, and Big Twelve trying to push ahead here? Yeah, so I don't have a, I don't have a problem with it. I thought Paige brought up a really good point earlier about you know why why throwing the towel so early, and it's a good question. And I guess the answer for the Big Ten was that. Uh, they were going to have to start contact practices. Mm-hmm. And and so if you're going to start contact practices and you're going to have guys tackling each other and sweating on each other and breathing on each other with the two lines, you know, are, are you comfortable with that? And I guess they made the decision that 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 they weren't. Mm-hmm. 
And, you know, is it possible that you could, you know, try and adjust your practices so that you don't have some of those things happening? Maybe. But then if you do eventually play a game, then I think you're putting players at risk by not having had some of those, whether they're full contact practices or, you know, close up drills with other players. Mm -hmm. And is that a good uh, is that a good result? It's probably not. So I, I, I think that's from what I read, why the big 10 made the decision now that they did, but I don't have a problem with people playing it out and, and continuing to try and figure out uh, where is this going? Is there a way to do it? Mm-hmm. Uh, I, I do think all three conferences will, you know, at some point cancel the season. Maybe they play a few games and then cancel, or maybe they cancel before they start. Right. I think everybody gets to where the big 10 is. Uh, and I'm not bothered by the fact that, you know, we've canceled and they haven't because uh, I, I, I do believe they're going to get to the same spot. Yeah, I would agree with that. But we don't know. Right. I mean, we're all speculating. Right. And and so, again, I'm going to contradict myself because I don't think that you can get through a full season. But let's they're playing soccer. They're playing football in Europe. That is a. It's, it's not a contact sport like it is, you know, football, American football. Those guys are on each other. They're sweating their asses off. They're breathing on each other. Mm-hmm. They're doing it. I get it. They're professional athletes. They signed up for it. But I'm not I, – I don't know that I buy the argument that just because, you know, it's a contact sport, we cannot make this happen. And, and I think I – don't, I don't think – the SEC, the ACC, and the Big 12 or Notre Dame are just playing games here. I think they really want to see if they can pull this off. And that's the other question that I have is what is the opportunity cost or what is the actual risk for the Big 10 and these other conferences, the Pac-12, if they do? High State's going to be fine. All the doom and gloom stuff about, oh, this is going to set our program back 12 years. That's bullshit. Right. It's not going to happen. However, there can be some damage to the conference is if somehow they do pull it off. Well, yeah, uh, maybe, but that there's two sides to that coin. So think about the scenario where, you know, these other conferences do play a few games and kids do get sick and somebody has a major issue. You know what the sell against Clemson is going to be when one of their players dies? Yeah. I mean, they're fucked. And so... It's all about it's all about risk assessment. You know, the other conferences are willing to continue playing this out and take more risk for now. And the Big Ten has said we're not taking we're not taking risk with kids. Period. Not doing it. And so, I hear you, but but that you know that that can go the other way too. Uh, okay. uh, they're they're going to play they're they're, they're going to play with fire here a little bit. Totally agree. But but there's what's to say that they actually got it on a football field. What's to say that they didn't get it to beer stube or park alley or mustards or Papa Joe's? <laughs> yeah. I don't know. But what I do know is if you were a football player and you got it, it's going to be blamed on football. Yeah. Your point is fair, but, but it's going to be portrayed as you got it playing football at practice. That's the argument that the players are, play, are, are, are making, though, is that we're safer here in this quote-unquote bubble, you know? I mean, it's not really a bubble, but – and again, there's two sides to every coin. It's, it's, it's supremely difficult. They're, they're in a bubble until they have to play another team. 
and then they leave the bubble and then they're subject to how stringent the testing and you know adherence to protocols were of their opponent and that can be something that can be very difficult to control if we're talking about a roster of 100 kids all it takes is one kid to get bored a reserve a kid who's not playing who's probably never going to play he's a practice player he goes and plays you know video games with a buddy or they yeah they go to a house party or something and then you've got an outbreak within an outbreak within the program that then with contact tracing and everything you might have to isolate half the team and you know as tim put it if you, somebody does get sick then you're dealing with you know who knows what ramifications you're dealing with the other thing the page your analogy with you're comparing to you know soccer in europe those countries have the outbreak much more under control than we do where football is going to be their attempt at playing football in this country right now is is the hotbed of the virus you know that there's 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 a much greater opportunity i think for a, a college football player playing in you know in florida or georgia to get the virus than there would be over in you know places in europe or or even in canada where they have the outbreak much more under control well yeah i was just gonna say there's lots of angles to this so I think we think about it in terms of schools like Ohio State, and Notre Dame and Clemson and even Texas and, you know, the, the schools that are left in those three conferences that are major players in college football. We'll give this a thought for a minute. Let's say the University of Kansas football team, who they, they don't give a fuck about football, really. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, they, they don't follow the rules. The University of Kansas sets up good rules and whatever. And those football players are like, ah, oh, whatever. The season is a joke anyway. Like. And, and, and they don't follow the rules and 20 people from the University of Kansas football team get COVID. Yeah. Well, that impacts the entire Big 12 now. Yeah, it Not does. Not just Kansas, the entire Big 12. Well, you know, when we still thought there was going to be a Big 10 season, what did we have? Like 30 Rutgers players in, <laughs> you know, uh, quarantined? Uh, you know, there were clearly, yeah, yeah some, some programs are much more invested than others. I mean, that I, that's a great point. You're right. I mean, Ohio State is going to be way more invested in pulling this off and adhering to all the protocols than somebody like Rutgers or in this, in your example, you know, Kansas in, in the Big 12, you know, Oklahoma and Texas is going to be taking it a lot more seriously. You can have confidence in your protocols that your program is following, but then you have to leave your practice facility and go play an opponent. This is very difficult. But that's the point of testing. So you test them three days before the game, two games, two days before the game, the day of the game. And if you're positive, you don't play. And if you have an outbreak on your team, then you cancel the game. I'm glad you mentioned that because one thing that the Pac-12 did when they announced that they were postponing their season is they were very transparent and they made the medical information that they used to help you know make the decision, they made that available. And it's a 12-page PDF and their, in their current assessment, they had three main factors that helped them arrive at the decision they did to cancel. The first was community prevalence, which remains very high out here in California in the Pac-12 footprint. The second was, as we've discussed, the, you know, the heart issue, long-term heart effects on the heart uh, from the virus, which we're still learning about. There's a lot of uncertainty around that. We don't completely understand the long-term effects there. But then the Pac-12 had real concerns about testing capacity. They wanted to increase uh, to allow for more frequent testing. But I also think that they will not think it's said it's right here in the document that um, they did they didn't have confidence in the rapid turnaround time of the testing. 
they just didn't feel like the technology that the, the test, the capability of the testing was there yet where they could get that quick turnaround. They wanted to be able to test like before kickoff basically. And, and those were the concerns that the PAC 12 had. I assume, I think it's probably safe to assume that that was part of the big tense thinking, although they didn't disclose the medical information that, that they used to guide their decision. The fact that that's even a factor, just if you could see my face on the Zoom, I, I want to shove a screwdriver through my temple. Like, what the fuck are you talking about? I mean, come on. This is ridiculous. Now, I, I, I could even take it up a level and, you know, we could talk about so, the, the so, great United States of America. But what's ridiculous on, about it? Have- what's ridiculous about it? What, what part of that was ridiculous? The testing capacity the, piece? The part of the reason that, that, that you can't have a college football season is because you don't have the resources, nor the, the, i.e. the money to do the testing, and then you don't, you can't get the results. It's, it might actually be true in, in the sense that it's factual, but what are we talking about here? You could do this if you want to. You could absolutely have this done if you put your mind to it, and we have the resources. This country has the resources to do it. it. The fact that they might use that as an excuse to say, oh, we can't have a college football season to me is absolutely insane. We're talking about billions and billions and billions of dollars. Yeah. Give me a fucking break. Yeah, I didn't read that as a monetary constraint. What I read was that they don't think the technology is there yet for rapid turnaround testing, reliable, like rapid turnaround. That's what I'm, they just don't believe in the technology that's available right now for testing, that it's where it needs to be. Well, I don't, I, yeah, uh, if, if that's what they were citing, then maybe they have, maybe they have some different concerns because I thought Ohio State felt that they could get all the tests that they needed and wanted and that they could effectively make determinations based on those tests. Like, I don't think that was, I don't think that was necessarily a big 10 issue. Okay. Um, I think they made their decision based on based on other things, but you're right. There certainly are false positives and false negatives, and the the tests aren't uh, foolproof. So, you know, I think that's probably a small enough percentage that you could sort of deal with it. You can retest and do other things, but mm-hmm. uh, you know, I, I I think this whole thing becomes fascinating too because w- what you have right now essentially is you have two of the major five conferences who've upped the ante massively on the other three, meaning that, that, you know, the, the big 10 and I think the big 10 and and the the PAC 12 uh, by, by virtue of taking the safe route and deciding to cancel the season and and not put their players at risk. um, You know, in my example, again, if you've got a Kansas team where there's a whole bunch of breakouts uh, and you've got college football going on on Saturdays, it's going to be national news. And, and the other three conferences are going to get destroyed yeah. for the risks that they're taking and the risks that they're putting these kids in front of in order to play an amateur game. And, you know, I think that also had to be part of the psyche is we just don't, you know, these universities, again, aren't in the business of doing that and don't want that. Uh, don't want that risk. Don't want it for the university and don't want it for the kids, to be honest. Yeah. Uh, they don't want, you know, 15 kids breaking out with COVID uh, on a football team or, or to Paige's point, I don't think that, I think that if you see massive breakouts at universities, you're going to see kids get sent home. 
I, I question the wisdom of, of actually kids going back to campus right now. It, it seems, uh, it doesn't, I, I don't know that we're ready for that yet. It, it doesn't, to me, seem like we have the virus anywhere near under control. And we're just courting danger, courting disaster by having, you know, in the case of Ohio State, right? How many, you know, what, 40, 50,000 students? It seems to me like we're, we're just inviting another massive spike. I don't know if you guys saw the, uh, if you guys saw this, it was, I think it was in like May or June. So we were well into COVID, but there were schools in the South that were having COVID parties. Yeah, I heard about Alabama. They were having parties. Yeah. In Tuscaloosa, right? Specifically to to try and get COVID so you could get it and be done with it and then go on with your life. <laughs> like, that's what 18-year-olds do. Right. And it's not going to be any different And you'd now. have been there too, by the way. <laughs> <laughs> I'd have been the host. Yeah. <laughs> so to Tim's point, right? So we can't play football, but we're going to bring these kids back on campus. So I'm the president of, and I forget her name. I, it's escaping me for right now. Like Katrina. I, yeah. yeah. Or no, so, Christina. So where, Christina Johnson. Right? Yeah. Yeah. So, 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 so where is your risk quotient for that? Let alone, you know, on the football side of things. I mean, we're, we're solely focused on the football, but we're bringing these students back in, you know, to the towers and moral tower and they're packed in there like sardines. We don't care about those kids. Yeah. I don't think that's a good idea either. I, I don't. I, I just, I don't think it's a good idea to bring kids back to major, well, to any campuses really. I, I think it should be online learning. And, and, I, and I don't think it's a good idea for them to be on a football field sweating and breathing and tackling each other. I think they're both bad ideas. I think the I think the going back to school is a little bit different. You know, playing football is not something that's necessary in life. Getting an education is. That's true. And I think what they're trying to the, the needle they're trying to thread there, I think, is you know maybe and I don't know the I don't know this, I'm just guessing, but there's probably less kids in the dorms than normal. There's social distancing rules. There's mask rules. There's classroom rules. There's teachers are following protocols. Right. In some ways, it's kind of counterintuitive, but it's a little bit easier to kind of control and and have all of the rules set out and have people around trying to enforce those rules and 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 having a university as a part of society uh, continue to function. Yeah, I view that as a little bit different than a game that's being played for enjoyment and entertainment and and ostensibly a lot of money, but uh, that isn't necessary. Right. And that that's that's fair. Yeah, that, that's I mean, totally you know, fair. yeah. So it, it, sociology one hundred and one at Ohio State, where kids are you know socially distanced, sitting six feet apart with masks on, is not the same thing as you know Ohio State versus Wisconsin. Uh, you know, with dudes sweating and <laughs> breathing all over each other and tackling each other for three three and a half hours. The risks are significantly different in those two scenarios. How dare you say that? <laughs> yeah, for the record, I don't think it's a good, I don't, yeah, I mean, I you can do online learning. It's not ideal, but I'm worried about what's going to come, you know, come of, of uh, you know, major college campuses across the country when kids get back to school. All right, fellas, uh, are we ready to move on to uh, to our next topic? I wanted to, to talk a little bit about the so-called spring season and its viability. I'd like to get your your takes on that. 
On a Zoom call with reporters earlier today, Ohio State head coach Ryan Day laid out his vision for an eight-game season that would begin in early July and would finish at the end of February. Day believes that the best plan for you know, making up the 2020 season and playing a complete 2021 schedule in the same calendar year. He believes that's the best plan for that. Uh, he also seemed pretty confident he could get players such as Justin Fields, Sean Wade to stick around and play if the makeup season happens in the winter between the beginning of January and the end of February. Uh, and that would also get, you know, that would give Ohio State's draft eligible players enough time to prepare for the NFL draft. He also mentioned, uh, Day did, that he would push for incoming the incoming freshman class, the 2021 class, to be eligible to play in January to get that two-for-one benefit of playing two seasons in the calendar year. So a player like Travion Henderson from the 2021 class, he could play in both the winter and the fall. So imagine Henderson getting the opportunity to play with Justin Fields in January and CJ Stroud in the fall. What do you think of this plan by day, Paige? As you describe that, I, I picked up another screwdriver and just jammed it into my temple. <laughs> I don't get it. I mean, so what if the SEC and the ACC and the Big 12 play in the fall? Yeah. And, and then we're going to play in January. Hmm. Um, so you have that to contend with. Um, I On a text string earlier today, Tim, I'm going to steal your thunder. You were spot on. What do we really think is going to change in this country about our approach to COVID between now and January? Nothing. We're not going to have a better, you know, I mean, our only hope is that this thing starts to burn itself out. Um, and, and, and then you come into the whole, hey, you can't ask kids to play, you know, 24 games in an eight-month period. Maybe you can, maybe you can't. But you get a guy like Urban Meyer says, no effing way. Mm -hmm. uh, again, I, it's, it, to, to me, uh, unless you get everybody on the same page, that's a pipe dream. And, and by everybody, I mean every conference. And, and like uniform, hey, we're all going to do the same thing. Okay. Tim, what do you think? Yeah. Yeah. I, I, I think large is the same. I think I like the creativity by Ryan. I like the fact that he's continuing to try and think of uh, different ways to kind of go about it, but I don't, I don't see any possibility that that, that that can happen. Um, and, you know, you've had some people Rondale Moore and you've had some other people decide to sit out when there might be a season this fall. Right. You know, for a lot of the best players, I'm just not sure that you can convince them to play in January and February when the draft is in June. And I know they talked about moving it back and doing some other things, but I, I think it's uh, I think it's very difficult. And then in particular, what Paige just said about, you know, the other conferences, even if they don't play in the fall, let's say they play three or four games in the fall. Are they then going to want to shut the engines down and get them back going again for January? Right. Um, I think if they play at all, they're all out. And so then it's us in the Pac-12 and that doesn't make a lot of sense. Yeah, it doesn't. I, I don't think that it does either. I mean, it would be a money grab, uh, right? The, the idea there would be primarily to get to recoup some television revenue from the lost season in the fall. Seems like a bit of a moonshot, doesn't it? I, I would certainly need to see a little more, see the whole thing a little more fleshed out to be convinced that it could work. And and I agree with you guys. I think in order for it to have any intrigue, any real entertainment value, any validity, if we're talking about trying to trying to crown a champion, then the 2020 season would need to be completely canceled for everyone, including you know the SEC, ACC, and, and Big 12. We'd all be in the same boat. 
looking toward the winter. And the other thing too is, okay, if this does turn out to be Ohio State's plan, maybe the Pac-12's on board and we're looking at, you know, a winter season through January and February. So, you know, then, so now am I rooting for the SEC, ACC, and Big 12 to fail this fall? Uh, and, you know, what does that, what does failure mean, right? That means kids get sick. I, I don't know how I feel about that. I don't think I want to put myself in that position. I, I think what needs to happen is yeah. the other conferences, the other three power five conferences would need to come to a similar conclusion before any games are played, before they really get into a season uh, that, hey, we can't do this. And then as a group, the five power five conferences would then decide to look to the winter. Then I think it has some validity. Then I think maybe we can do this. I was just going to say that that's, as I sat and listened to Ryan kind of talk about it, uh, two things went through my head. One, I think there's an element of this that is him marketing himself and Ohio state to recruits Mm -hmm. to say, look at how much we care. Mm -hmm. um, I, I'm not ready to let this go. I'm fighting. I'm fighting for you. This is the kind of coach I am. I want to play. Uh, and I respect that. I think that's fine. I don't think there's anything wrong with that. And right. I think the other angle on it is, is as you sort of alluded to, Zach, is to, 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 to put the idea in the heads of the other three conferences that, hey, look, if you guys are a month behind us and you cancel the season in a month, like this is something we can all think about. Yeah. I, I think he you didn't nailed say it. that, but I think that's implied. I, I think so too. I mean, you, you know, let's be honest. The, the SEC, ACC, and Big Twelve—they're watching, they're watching, they're listening, and they're all watching each other. In, in addition to what you just said, but Tim, it, Ryan Day's also thinking, "Motherfucker, I got a natty championship team on my hands here. Just give me a chance to play. <laughs> Don't blow this. For no me. doubt. No <laughs> doubt." <laughs> I don't know if you guys had a chance to listen to the 45-minute uh, Zoom press conference with Ryan Day, but he was asked about this team, and boy, he, he had to he had to pause for a moment, and he said out loud, he's like, I, I have to be careful here because I get emotional talking about this team. It was a special team that we had, not just from what it could accomplish on the field, but the leadership, the quality of the kids. I, I think he's, boy... You looking back to the way that Clemson game ended, that uh, semifinal game ended, and now thinking what we're faced with this season, oh, it has to sting. I mean, most especially for Day and those players. But uh, yeah, he's he was he's he's still despondent. Uh, I think it's going to take a while for him to get get past this. He needs a partner, right? Like, and this is we're we're, we're getting crushed by the fact that these conferences are making these decisions in a vacuum. And if they could all get online and, and then as a country, right? I mean, there's an interesting intersection here between college football and politics. And if something gets taken away from people, then maybe they, you know, you, you kind of wisen up a little bit. Yeah, and it's say, a wake up call. Not, yeah. You're not getting this in, in September. And if you can't get your shit together, then you're not getting it in January either. Mm -hmm. But if you can, maybe, maybe we can pull this off under any, whatever. I don't care if it's a six game schedule or a 10 game, whatever. Yeah. And then you got a chance, but the, the, you got different people with different agendas that don't have to align and we, we struggle because we don't have a single body that has any jurisdiction over any of it. 
and here we are. Well, and that's something I guess we can all speculate on. So when college football does get back to normal, I mean, where stadiums can be at full capacity, you know, where 100,000 fans can be in the shoe to watch Ohio State play, whenever that is, it, I mean, I think it's reasonable to expect that there could be some pretty big changes to the game. Will the players have representation by then? You know, those types of changes. I mean, what, what this pandemic, I think, has exposed, and you could call it a silver lining if you believe in that sort of thing. What it has exposed is pieces of this model that are broken. Paige, you've already mentioned one of them, right? Which is no centralized leadership. There's no czar. There's no commissioner. Clearly, we could use somebody like that to, to rein these five, especially the power five, to rein the power five together and get everybody on the same page. I think we've got a broken model with the way, what are they, the group of five schools uh, pay for their athletic departments with these payday games and, you know, being over reliant, overly reliant on Ohio State and Alabama to cut them a big check at the beginning of the year. I'm not saying those games are going to completely go away. But if you're an athletic director now at Bowling Green or Buffalo or some of these schools that was counting on that big paycheck to get your ass kicked by Ohio State this year, maybe now you're rethinking, you know, going forward, how you, you know, how you budget for your athletic department. Players now, they realize their power, I think. Um, now, they didn't, they didn't have a seat at the table here to, to, to make a decision as to whether or not the season was canceled, but I think they started to get a glimpse of how much influence college football players have over college athletics. And as the months go by and as we move toward hopeful normalcy at some point soon, could we see, you know, more, uh, more allowances for players? We got NIL on the horizon, but could there be a certain percentage of the revenue now that goes into the pockets of players? So anyway, I'm rambling here, but it, it would seem that the, the pandemic has exposed some flaws in the model here and things that were in need of change for many, many years, even decades, and things could be look very different. Yeah, 100%. I mean, and, and hopefully, you know, we can make some lemonade out of these lemons because a lot of the things that you said are things that absolutely need to change. So, yeah. All but right. on, on the other hand, I don't know, maybe not either. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, I think that there will be changes. I agree with you. I think they'll probably be slower than than we all think. Mm -hmm. um, I wouldn't underestimate the people who are uh, invested and embedded uh, to just not walk away. They're gonna they're gonna keep their vested interests as long as they can. That makes sense. Uh, I continue to be astounded, just utterly astounded, at just how ineffective the NCAA as an organization is. Oh yeah. Uh, and and to your guys' point, that there's not a commissioner and that there's not more uniformity and that there's not more coordination. And I mean, let's face it, right. This is a massive problem that, that, that college football mostly has suffered on its own. Like basketball has a big playoff and, and, you know, they can figure those things out. So does baseball. So does tennis, like all these sports do, but college football is this unique, uh, just complete clusterfuck oh, yeah. of, Evolu evolution and rules and bowl games and BCS and like all this nonsense and they just can't get it figured out because there's so many interests and that's my silver lining is I want all of that stuff gone. I agree. And I want just a very clear, clean college football agenda, which is an eight or 10 or 12 team playoff, whatever you want to make it. 
Exactly. Get rid of these, you know, FCS games, get rid of these payday games, have people play their conferences. And if you want to play another power five conference team out of conference, so be it, but that's it. You want to play an in-state rival fine, but they have to be at least an FBS school. Like there's some very simple things like that that can make the game a lot better uh, that I hope comes out of this. And and also more regional games. Um, The, the, you know, the big ones like us playing Oregon are fun every once in a while, but uh, it's also fun to, you know, have us play Cincinnati mm-hmm. uh, and they're, you know, more of that and less travel and just less stress on the kids is, is what we should all be striving for. I agree. I agree. I, I, I the bowl system is one thing that, <laughs> that I left out in, in, in my rant there was that's something that I could see fixed, uh, you know, all these meaningless bowl games, these made for television events with empty stadiums. Why are we playing these games with six and six teams? I mean, those bowls, those will not survive the pandemic. They will die off very quickly. It, it, and on top of all of those things that need to change, you've got Big Brother, the NFL, that's got its thumb and it's got its interest, that it's got its three-year rule. Yeah. And that's what is makes this just so maddening, right? Like if you're good enough to play and get paid for it out of high school and the NFL doesn't want you and you have no alternatives because you have to go to college, it's insanity. Yeah. I mean, well, what kind you know? It, so to Tim's point, I think we all want these changes. I don't know that the pandemic's going to change that much, or if they are, it's going to be slow because yeah. you just have these glacial entities, <laughs> powerful true. entities that just want the system as it is the bulls, the NFL, you know, I mean, okay, fine. We don't want to play Bowling Green. Well, then what does that do to Bowling Green's athletic department? It decimates it. Yeah, it does. Very complicated. Very complicated. Yeah. With the other one, I'll make one other point about this. And then I think we could probably wrap things up here, guys. We're, we're at about an hour here. Yeah. I, the, the, I go back to the PAC 12 players demand that letter that they put out and that, you know, they wanted, uh, they wanted the, the financial gain from the game that they play, that they make so many sacrifices to play. They wanted to redirect some of those funds. And I think what 50% of the revenue, which is what they're asking going to the players is, there's no way that's going to happen, right? That is way too big of an ask. But it did get me thinking about, you know, maybe it's time to start looking at how this money is being spent. I don't have a problem with us taking a closer look at where this money is going. I think, you know, at a place like Ohio State, the fact that it funds so many other varsity sports, Tim, you're probably in a better position to say where a lot of that money goes, but I know that it funds the entire athletic department. But, you know, hey, look, if I'm a football player, and I'm channeling our good buddy Doug Lay Maurice here. I, I didn't think this is something that he said, but you know, why should Pete Warner sacrifice his body and his brain so that Bowling Green can have an athletic department, right? Or so that the women's rowing team can have a multi-million dollar facility? I, if I'm a college football player, I don't know. I mean, I I wouldn't have a problem with some of that money being redirected. And it doesn't have to go in athletics. I mean, okay, put it into research. Put it into campus facilities. I don't know that you have to have 30-some-odd varsity sports. Do we need a varsity rifling team? Should somebody be getting a scholarship to shoot a rifle? Do we have one? Defense, yeah. <laughs> or fencing. We, rifling and the fencing team are varsity sports at Ohio State. <laughs> Holy shit. I don't know that people should be getting scholarships to do those kinds of things. And I wouldn't have a problem with some of the revenue earned by the football program being redirected. If not into players' pockets, okay, fine, but somewhere else. 
where it, it could go to better use. I don't know that having a rifling team is a good use of scholarship money or, you know, as I said, a multi-million dollar rowing facility for the women's rowing team, a sport nobody really cares about. Is that a good use of that money? I, I question whether it is. Title nine. Yeah. Well, does Title well, IX say you have to build a multi-million dollar facility? I mean, you have to have scholarship opportunities for women, right? But does that mean you have to build a multi-million dollar? It's, it's an equal distribution of revenue across men's and female sports. Hmm. Interesting. Tim, what do you think? Um, you know, I, uh, I I think it's a really thorny issue. Um, you're right. The, the money goes to fund athletics. It goes to fund you know, the upkeep of the stadium, which as you can imagine, takes a lot of money. Some mm -hmm. money goes to generally into the university. There's a whole bunch of things. But I mean, of all the things that you listed, which are all fair, I'm not nearly as probably fixated on money going towards the fencing team or the rowing team or the rowing facility or even Bowling Green's athletic department. Uh, where I come down on it is college football coaches getting paid seven, eight million bucks a year. Mm -hmm. That's where I got a problem. I mean, it's just, it's just outrageous. And, you know, when you look at it, they are state employees and, you know, Ryan day is the highest paid state employee by an order of magnitude of like 50 in the state of Ohio wow. uh, over the next highest paid person. And, you know, look, I'm not saying he's not a good coach or that I don't love him or any of that, but I'm just saying like, when you look at where the money goes, you know, paying a college coach a $7 million contract for five years. And so he's getting 35 million bucks, uh, I think would be number one on my list of things to review. It's a fair point. Fair point. Yeah, Paige, what do you think about that? Are college coaches paid too much? I have no opinion on that. I'm going to have to pick my jaw off the floor that I just heard Mr. Tim Gallagher say that though, because <laughs> I did not fucking expect that. So, uh, <laughs> Uh, for, for a variety of reasons the most yeah. uh, um, but I no I totally freaking agree it's absurd what, and and that goes back to our good friend Dougie's point like why are you paying assistant coaches a million bucks yeah I, I, yeah you see that that's where I would my big bone of contention would be with coaches salaries it's not so much somebody like a Ryan Day or a Nick Saban or a Urban Meyer but you know these million dollar assistant coaches that you know you're not paying you're not outbidding anybody for their services and there's probably a dozen other coaches at least that would do it for half that and would do just as good of a job do you need to pay greg madison a million bucks a year i think that's a function of what the head guy's getting and when the head guy's getting seven the assistants get a million when the head guy's getting a million and a half bucks the assistants are getting 250. yeah it's a good point all right. Well, I feel like we're heading into a whole different podcast here with coaches' salaries and some of this other stuff. And uh, I know it's getting late there in the mountain time zone and on the East Coast, especially for you, Tim. Guys, thanks so much for making the time. And I'm sure I'll be speaking to you real soon. You've been listening to the South Stands, a Buckeye football podcast. You can follow us on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook, and visit our website at southstandsosu.com.